the enemy wants to so darken your heart that you are now the one that says, I choose to be alone. That's the perfect place for the enemy to put you, to attack you on all that loneliness stuff when you choose it. He doesn't only want you alone, he wants your heart shaped to choose it. this morning. Early service, early service. The day begins. I love it. Come on, who's glad to be in the house of the Lord? Let me hear you. I know we're still waiting for all the coffee to kick in. That's okay if you're online. I love you. Love that you join us digitally. Um, I do believe that God has a special uh, word for us today. Um, we're beginning this, it's this series, this short series we're in, we're beginning each of these sermons just kind of reminding you of what the prime objective is. So every year we want to carve out just a couple weeks to kind of make clear, make known the, the four primary roads that we believe that Trinity Church as a whole, but even beyond Trinity Church, through church history, God has shown are the primary roads which we should operate in or drive in to continue to live life to the fullest in our faith. Um, and so we have called them over the last couple of weeks the growth track. Um, so let me say just a simple quick phrase to kind of pull us back in over the last couple of weeks. Christianity is to be participated in and not merely observed. Christianity is to be participated in and not merely observed. And I get that we live in a day and age where spectators in mass, whether we're watching in TV, on TV, or we go to a sports stadium, we watch in mass the experts, the professionals do the job. But in Christianity, the crazy thing is there's not supposed to be Christian spectators. We are all participating in this activity. We're all supposed to join in the mission. And so the activities that we have, kind of four primary things that we have, we call the growth track. Now the growth track, just quick review from the last couple of weeks, the growth track isn't merely a set of tasks to accomplish, but practices to make part of your life rhythm. So it's not that you just do each of these and then you're done, right? You live in them as part of your rhythm. So encounter a couple weeks ago with Josh, we live worshiping with our brothers and sisters in Christ before God and community. Do not forsake the gathering of believers, as some are in the habit of doing. Um, discover. What does it mean to discover our story? It's all about story. What is our story and God's story? And how do we live working to overlap our story and God's story in the community of believers and in the world? We talked about that last week. Leslie did a great job sharing on that. And then this week we're going to talk about connect. And we have staff members attached to each of these, but it happens to be today uh, Taylor who is attached to the connect part of our vision mission is out of town. So you get me. I'm sorry. I will do my best to, to cover. So connect, connect. The growth track, of course, again, isn't merely a set of tasks to accomplish, but practices to make part of your life rhythms. Encounter, discover, connect, and scent. Encounter, discover, connect, and scent. Connect. Have you ever noticed that friendships are just, um, and family, they're really, really hard. And I think we live, I mean, I know we live in a day and age. Uh, I, I wrote this in grad school, coming out of a couple of classes, uh, I, I wrote a, a paper on this, and then I 
summed it way down even tighter, and then I put it out on a, a, a blog, we really are being shaped to do friendships even worse. And like social media, there's a ton of things that play into this. And so ironically, we have all these tools to be more aware of each other, more and more and more and more and more aware of each other, but it's not actually helping us connect in deeper and deeper and deeper intimacy. Um, all we're doing is like, ratcheting up jealousy or anger or bitterness or frustration. I mean, it's like all these parts of us that we don't like and are being more aware of each other. It's like the often, not always, but often it's like these negative things that are getting ratcheted up and it's, it's affecting us. And the truth is we are lonely as a people and friendships are hard. I mean, I guess maybe the way to say it would be this. Uh, I, I want... I want you to find and have amazing life-giving friendships. And I know that's really hard to do. First, I want to make the case that you need it. And then we're going to circle back around with more of the hope. So, so bear with me. Today is going to be like the case, why, why we need this, why we long for friendships. Then we're going to talk about a lot of the difficulties of why it doesn't work. And then we're going to end on some hope. So it's going to get like a really good story, chapter 7 and 8 out of a 12-chapter book. We're going to get really dark for a little bit before we get to the hope. So bear with me. The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis. Anybody here ever read The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis? It's a great book if you haven't read it. In the book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis makes the case that there are unique things in us that cannot be pulled out of us unless another person is involved. There are unique things in us that cannot be pulled out of us unless another person is involved. Uh, let me see if I can give you an example. Uh, growing up, my parents are awesome. I love them. I admire them deeply. They were also really busy in my younger years, so I spent a ton of time with my grandparents. And I want to introduce you to one of my grandparents. So I got a picture. I believe we got a picture and put this up here. This is my grandfather. Okay, so first of all, the World War II era men were really manly. <laughs> and there's probably a reason why the like, life expectancy was 55 or 60, right? Like, there it is. Um, so this is my grandfather and his brother. Uh, they were like true blue, Harley Rider, wild guys. And uh, he got saved later in life. Um, he's actually got a really amazing testimony I've shared before. If you've been in church for a while, a number of years ago I shared it. And so like literally riding on a motorcycle, like surfing down the road, that's my grandfather. He got saved, radically saved, became a passionate follower of Jesus, and became a primary father figure in my life. I got another picture. I'm a little embarrassed of this one, but there you go. So that's me and my brother and my grandpa in the middle. Um, he taught us to fish. He taught us to hunt. I mean, this guy loved, I love spending time with him. We, I do not even remember the first time I rode motorcycles. Right? Like as a little kid, he'd, he'd sit me on the front. There's pictures of it, so I've seen him, but I don't remember him. As a little kid, he'd hop on the Harley and he'd sit me in between, like on the gas tank right in the middle, and he'd kind of wrap his arms around us and he'd take us for rides on the Harley. Man, I started riding motorcycles on my own even as a little kid. I don't even remember when I first started driving them. I started doing it so young um, on the little dirt bikes that we get as kids. It was awesome. Like my grandfather was a huge part of my life. He pulled things out of me that were so cool, right? Like courage. My grandpa made me so brave. Passion. 
He always embodied this vigor for life, man. I mean, he was an amazing man. Uh, Not just even courage and passion, his love for the Lord, it would spill out in church. I mean, I can still remember sitting in the sanctuary and listening to my grandfather sing in worship, right? Like, this guy lived at like level 10 when everybody else lived at a level seven or six. I mean, he just was a whole nother level of man. And he pulled all these unique things out of me. In fact, the truth is, I don't think I have rode a motorcycle since he died. I've not been hunting since he died. And I didn't think about it till last night. And the truth is, when my grandfather died, my brother and I were talking about this. He pulled things out of us. And when he died, those things didn't come out like they used to. And if you've lost a loved one or a parent, and it's been enough time, you know this. I mean, when they die, it feels like a, a part of you dies too. And, and, and honestly, I was laying in bed last night. I was working on this message, and, um, and I was thinking about just those days of camping and hunting and fishing and riding motorcycles, just the wild, fun, passionate side of life. And I was like, man, you know, when grandpa died, I lost a little bit of my ability to have fun. I think Lewis is right. There are unique things in us that don't get pulled out of us unless we're with certain kinds of people. There are unique things in you that don't get pulled out of you unless you're around certain kinds of people. The case for this, you were made, you were made to be a part of a community. You were made, crafted by God to be a part of a community. Genesis 2, 20 through 24, Uh, Margot read this earlier, it's excellent. I just want to read this again, okay? So this is before the fall, before the fall, before the fall, before sin had poisoned the whole world, this is before it. Then man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. That's an important metaphor in ancient Hebrew. We're going to circle back around to that in a minute. Verse 22, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Now just imagine that moment. Not too much. This has got to say PG-13. But like imagine that moment before the fall. Now hang with me. You ready for this? Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, Whoa, man. That's how the name stuck. She shall be called woman, right? Because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The important thing here is the Hebrew. So if you grew up and you've been to seminary, you know this. Probably the guy that wrote it in the most concise way that I've read is Jim Garlow in a book called Well Versed. Uh, But the basic idea from this, this idea of being taken out of the side, is actually a metaphor in Hebrew to mean divide in two. So the idea of the text is basically this. 
Adam looks around and he's like, hey, there's no one like me. I'm lonely. So God designed him even before the fall to be aware that there wasn't another like him. Then God causes him to go into a deep sleep. And then the metaphor in Hebrew is he takes man and he divides him into two halves. And this is crazy because the intention of the text is before sin entered the world, humans were created to be part of a whole. You were made as a piece of a puzzle. You're designed by God to need others. And then you see this idea even as you progress through the text. I mean, my goodness, when you land in the New Testament, not just even gifting for leadership, some to be apostles, prophets, teachers, right? But you also even see this when he talks about the body. Some are the eyes, some are the hands, some are the feet. It is incredibly important that we as a church understand your design by God is to need other people. You were designed to be a piece of a puzzle, a part of another whole, right? Like you're made to need people. Say this with me. I'm made to need people. I'm made to need people. That's right. You were literally made to need others. Before the fall, before sin entered the world, you were designed by God to need other people. Okay, so I want to be very transparent about this because before sin entered the world, God designed Adam and Eve to be part of the whole. You were literally made to need others. This is so countercultural in our Western pull yourself up by your bootstraps, hyper individualism that we live in today. I love the way Janet Ruffing says this in her book, Spiritual Direction. She says, listen to this. Western culture, with its emphasis on autonomy, leads us to feel isolated and longing for connection. That's right. We have a Western value that is actually making you miserable. I don't need others. I'm weak or needy or lesser of a man if I need somebody else or lesser of a woman if I need somebody else. Thus, she goes on to say, our first step toward becoming adult lovers requires us to overcome our separateness. To develop our capacity to participate in intimate relationships and to learn how to be with another without losing ourselves. You can't begin healthy community till you admit you need it. You cannot begin healthy community until you admit you need it. You cannot begin healthy community until you admit you need it. You're designed for it. Like the human body is designed to eat. You know, if you've gone, it's like you fasted for a while, you wake up, you know, unless you got a, you know, adult young man in your house, then fasting is like more than four hours and you're starving to death. Uh, but if it's been a while since you've eaten and your stomach is hungry and you walk in the kitchen, and you're like, man, I could really use something to eat. You are designed to need others the same way that you're designed to need to eat. It's not sin to be hungry and need food. It's not sin to need other people to help make you whole. It's not sin. You're designed for it. 
This leads us to a couple of different thoughts. Um, three ideas I want to offer you and a couple of sub-ideas in them. But the first one is this. Community is required for the fullest version of you to be experienced. It just, it just is. Now, I know we're going to have our super hyper spiritual people. Somebody's going to write me an email and say, what about, you know, in the underground church in China when you have a pastor that's arrested and thrown into solitary confinement? yes. Yes, absolutely, Jesus can meet with that person and meet their needs in a unique way. But I'm telling you, that's not the ideal life. It's not the ideal life. Yes, Jesus can meet with them. But yes, that's not the ideal life. That's not him to the fullest, right? Like, there's a better coming even yet. The other thing that's important to note with this is the versions of you that are pulled out by other people. This can be positive or negative. I mean, here's the truth. There are parts of you, sexual, sensual parts of you. You get onto a website, you get into a blog, and they start talking about sexuality and sensuality and start, you know, getting. if you get involved in all of that darkness, you're going to see those parts of you get exaggerated and made stronger and pulled out. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, that's who I am. It is who you are, but it's also who you are because that's who you put yourself around. They go together. And so if you get on a website that's really angry about whatever or full of bitterness towards whatever, you get into a group that's really mad about whatever it might be or really angry towards whoever and you're around them, it begins to build up inside you. You can be positive or negative with these things being pulled out of you and exaggerated and and made even stronger. It depends on who you put yourself around. And in the same way, if you choose to commit to like a small group at a church or being a discipleship group or being an accountability group and they're holding you accountable regularly to being in the word, you're abiding in God, right? As the scripture would say, abiding with the Father. Those parts of you begin to be pulled out and made stronger and exaggerated and it becomes more of who you are. Listen, you are crafted to be hungry, to need to eat relationships. And if you stuff your mouth, go with my metaphor, with junk, it's going to make you out of shape and miserable, it just will. The way when I was, I did youth ministry, young adult ministry for a long time, the way I used to say it to them is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. That's right. See, they got it. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Now again, the super spiritual ultra mega Christians are going to email me and go, what about being a good witness? That's totally right. Go into the world and make disciples. But you better be very aware of who you let speak into your life and who you let shape it. You better be very aware. And way too often, especially in my youth ministry and young adult years, people would say to me, I want to be a witness with group X, when in actuality, their heart never desired that. They just wanted to become like group X. Show me your friends and I'll show you your. You were made to need others and things in you are pulled out. It's how we're crafted. The second idea that I would give you is this. There is spiritual warfare against you staying in and having healthy relationships. There is real spiritual warfare against you getting into good relationships and staying in them. Real spiritual warfare. 
against you getting into good relationships and staying in them. Listen, the enemy wants you alone. He wants you alone. The enemy absolutely wants you alone, at best alone, and then a little lesser from his perspective is gets you in a bad relationship. There's always gonna be spiritual warfare over your relationships. Have you ever been in like friendships or church or small groups and it's like, man, we just can't get away from some form of spiritual warfare no matter what we do together? Absolutely yes. In fact, I would take it even further and say the enemy wants you alone. He does want you alone. All right, this is huge. It's a big deal. He not only wants you alone, he wants you to choose it. He wants you to choose to be alone. He wants to so shape your heart by very real past hurts and make it into bitterness and make it into anger, make it into resentment. Make it into whatever it is, right? The enemy wants to so darken your heart that you are now the one that says, I choose to be alone. That's the perfect place for the enemy to put you, to attack you on all that loneliness stuff when you choose it. He doesn't only want you alone. He wants your heart shaped to choose it. This is scary. All right, we're going to circle back around to that here in a minute. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit more right near the end. The third idea I want to give to you is this. Living vulnerable is risky. It's just really risky. I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to be done here in just a few minutes as I pull these ideas together. It's just, it's risky. Living vulnerable is really risky. Um, if you've ever been in a marriage that fell apart, if you ever lost a parent, even if it's all a positive thing and you got along with them, great. It hurts. Have you ever had friendships that break apart and you don't understand why? I mean, listen, living vulnerable is, is, is really, really risky. You know, I don't think it's an accident um, that the story of Judas and Jesus is in the Bible. It's, it's, I think it's very, very, very intentional. Of course, it's intentional. It's very intentional. That Judas is betrayed. Judas betrays Jesus. One of Jesus' closest friends betrays him. Through a false form of intimacy, even. Kisses Jesus on the cheek. I mean, I think it's purposeful, it's in the Bible, that the disciples abandon him at his physically weakest moment. Let's hear it for the women who stayed with Jesus all the way to the end. Come on, ladies. Those brave dudes all disappeared. Well, most of them. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be betrayed with a false form of affection. I mean, like when you're like, Lord, all this friendship stuff is super hard. 
Lord, all this relational stuff is really difficult and it's not fair because I feel like you made me to need it. But every time I try to do it, it just hurts and it's hard and it's difficult. Yeah, sin broke a lot of things. But you have a God who gets it. Vulnerability. Vulnerability is the place of deep connecting and it's also often the place of deep wounding. But it's also, I wish I had put this in there, the place of deep healing. I mean, the, the truth is, living vulnerable is risky and it's, it's hard. I know what it's like to have a really good friend. A number of years ago I had this happen. A really good friend uh, went out for coffee one day and he basically said, I don't want to be friends or hang out anymore. And he caught me out of left field. I would have told my wife this is one of my best friends. Caught me out of left field. I was like, what? And I remember driving home. Maybe you've been in this spot. And it's like you're replaying the conversation in your head 150 times over. Have you ever had a conversation 75 times after you've had the conversation? in your head and you're like, man, maybe if I would have said this or maybe I missed something and to this day, I don't even entirely know what happened. I don't even know and maybe it was something going on in his life. I'm not sure what, what broke it but something broke it. And what went through my mind was I don't want to get that close to somebody again. Have you ever felt that? I also know what it's like to have one of the closest people to you in your life die. Gosh, you know, the crazy thing for me is when my grandfather died, I mean, he was like a dad to us. We spent a lot of time with him. When my grandfather died, for the first time in my life, death didn't seem nearly as scary. It was like, wow, there's something on the other side now that I really want. But I know how that feels too. I want to make just a couple of statements for the sake of time, just real quick. I'm gonna, and then I'm going to end with a thought and a prayer. The sin in you and the sin in others is going to make community hard. It will. You're still made for it. I can guarantee your next Christian group will be flawed because you're in it too. And all the weird things you bring, somebody else is going to bring all their weird things into it. It just will be. The next discipleship group or small group or whatever group you get in. I can't, I cannot, I cannot promise you pain-free relationships. But I can tell you God made you to need them anyways.
I can't promise you perfect relationships, but flawed relationships are perfect places to practice the love, forgiveness Jesus modeled. Remember, Jesus not only knows our hard relational places, he modeled how to handle them. You're right. Like Judas and Jesus, there will be some people that will never come back to you. They'll never choose you. But there will also be Peters who denied you and broke it and messed it up and you run them down and make it right if you can. You just have both. Celebrate each other on the good days. Elevate each other on the bad days. To the best of your ability, resist always running away. Remember, to those that walk in the way of love, perfect intimacy is coming in heaven. It just is. You were formed to need people before the fall. And perfect match is possible. And our best days of fulfillment and wholeness are still yet to come. And in the promise and hope and joy of Jesus Christ, one day I'm going to hear my grandfather sing again. The last thing I would share with you would be this. Um, in all of this, the risk, the practice, the hope of heaven, the reality of how you're made, I challenge you to join a group. To let your story be known. To learn the stories of other people in this place to participate in the life journey of those that you worship with to go from observer to participant to take on the joys of that and the weight of that because you were made for it you were made for it. You know, um, when I was working on this message, there were like three or four different ways to close this out. And uh, I didn't like any of them, to be honest. Sometimes it's like you're doing a message and you're like, I think I'm gonna close this way. No, I'm gonna close it, no. Here's what I want you to do. And when I feel like I can't land on strong directive, that's often when I feel like the Holy Spirit is just prompting me where he's going, whoa, 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 let me have him, Mike. Let me have him. Let me have him. The Holy Spirit saying that. Let me have him. Let me have him. So here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to grab the next steps card in the back of the chair in front of you. Go ahead, grab it right now. At least pretend like you're doing it. Make me feel good. Grab the next steps card in the back of the chair in front of you. And I just want you to write, like in the little comment section, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, put it on there. If you need to rededicate your life, put it on there. But if you would, on the next steps card, just in the little comment section, just write the word relationships. Just write the word relationships. And then all I want you to do is listen to the Spirit and answer this question. What is my next step? Holy Spirit, what is my next step? And let God speak to your heart. What is my next step? Lord, in your name, as they write and reflect this morning, I just want to lay their lives before you. Spirit, you speak. You lead them. Lead them. Call out what the next relational step is for each of them individually. Jesus, speak. Heal in your name. Amen. Go ahead and take some time and write. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.